Good morning. I feel the Spirit moving in this place. It's wonderful to be here with you. I came up yesterday. I live in Nevada City, so I came down. I came down for the climate change conference, and I did lead a workshop there and had a nice evening with uh, Jim Cramer and and Helen Rowland and uh, went to dinner with a couple of other people had a comfortable night, and I'm so happy to be here with you this morning, sharing this time. I know that you've been in the, in the, you're in the midst of a sermon series on covenant. I wonder how long it's been since you have heard the whole Ten Commandments as written in Exodus with all the detail. It's easy to see the thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, and so on. But that listening to that is striking, and it reminds us of uh, the cultural gap that there is between ancient times and today. Uh, and this is the story of the covenant on Mount Sinai that God made with Moses and with the Hebrew people, bringing the Ten Commandments that they were to follow. I loved what Pastor Kelly said this morning about that God's covenants begin at the at creation. That's a lovely concept, and I'll take that home with me. I'm, I believe you probably have heard a couple of other covenant stories in the Bible in the past couple of weeks. The covenant with Noah, the, really the covenant with all creation, that was confirmed with the rainbow, and then the covenant with the Hebrew people that was given through uh, Abraham and Sarah. They were blessed. They were told that they'd have descendants. They would be blessed and that their descendants would be a blessing to all the world. It wasn't just a blessing for themselves, but for the sake of the whole. And today we look at the covenant with Moses and the Ten Commandments, and they were delivered to the people by the God who uh, led them out of slavery in Egypt. And they were supposed to follow them for the good of themselves and the good of the community. Did they always follow them? No, they did not. But even when they sinned, even when they went astray, God's covenant remains steadfast. God's covenants are never revoked. God's covenants stand regardless of the actions of human beings. So the first commandment, as I looked at these and reflected on them, and actually I reflected on this whole story of of the Ten Commandments being brought to the people, and I looked at it in juxtaposition to the story of Jesus cleansing the temple, which is the other lectionary passage, looked at those and how might they tie together. And then I heard that you were in the midst of a sermon series on covenant, and I thought, aha, that's I'll use that idea to tie these together. So I looked at the first commandment, and I realized in looking at, at the whole that the first commandment is the key to all the others. 
You shall have no other gods before me. If we put God first, our actions in all the other areas of our lives will follow, just as we heard when we were listening to the the message for the children. I was at a retired clergy retreat about a year and a half ago, and it had uh, two of my favorite, all-time favorite bishops there. Bishop Melvin Talbert, who used to be our bishop in this annual conference, and Bishop Roy Sano, who lives in this annual conference, I believe came from this annual conference. And Bishop Talbert was the son of sharecroppers, and Bishop Sano was, his family was interred during World War II in the uh, internment camps when the Japanese were, uh, were taken away to these internment camps. And they have remarkable stories about how God has acted in their lives and through them, and uh, it's, it's remarkable. It was remarkable to be in their presence and to have the opportunity to not just hear their stories but to interact with them. Someone asked Bishop Talbert, they were talking about spirituality, and he said, and someone asked him, what is the most important thing you would say to somebody who was questioning about spirituality, who wanted to be a spiritual person? And Bishop Talbert said, I would remind them that spirituality is a two-way thing. It's a relationship. It's not just about asking God for what you want. It's about asking what God wants of you. And I thought that was really an important point because it's easy to think, well, to rest on our laurels, really, and to ask God for what we need and to assume that we're going on the right track. And it's not always the case. It's important to be listening. What is God asking of me? That is how we put God first in our lives. But still we may not be clear. What is it that God wants of me right now, or today, or this week? Well, we could look back to the Ten Commandments, because they seem pretty absolute, But even the Ten Commandments, as we could hear just by listening this this morning, they're culturally bound. And even back then in ancient times, the Ten Commandments were evolving, believe it or not. So in Exodus it says, You shall not covet your neighbor's house, semicolon. Then... You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or male or female slave or ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. But it wasn't that much later, maybe a few centuries later, when it was written again in Deuteronomy. And in that case, it says, You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, semicolon. And then it goes on to list people and animals, and houses, and fields, and so on. So even in that little bit of time, the status of women had raised. Now, aren't we glad we, that our society has changed between now and then, and women aren't considered property, and slavery 
we hope, had been eliminated, although now we've got all this about modern-day slavery and trafficking, and I'm happy to see that you're going to be doing some uh, forum, uh, a forum about that. Uh, that's such a, an issue that we need to look at. But thank God we don't take either of those versions literally. Plus, a lot of other laws were given along with the Ten Commandments, including laws that uh, validate slavery and stoning and all kinds of things that are part of ancient history and were perhaps established to reduce violence, but now we have another way. We have other ways, but especially with Jesus, we have another way. But even back then, it's no wonder that someone came to Jesus and said, which commandment is the first of all? And we read in Mark 12 that Jesus answered, The Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. In other words, put God first. And he said, The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So Jesus raised up love above all other values and put God first in his life. But even today, do we fulfill the law of love, as it's been called, all the time? That, too, can become a standard, uh, something that we try again and again to do and fail. There are other complications for us today in trying to understand what it is that God is asking of me. We do have the Ten Commandments, and we can look back and we can acknowledge that the spirit of the Ten Commandments are good. You shall not kill. You shall not steal. Honor your father and your mother. You shall not bear false witness. You shall not covet. Those are values. Those are Uh, very important ideas. The spirit of the commandments are good. And we still have Jesus' words, love God and love neighbor. But our society is so nuanced today, what's right and what's wrong isn't always so clear. And as it turns out, to complicate it further, we often have mixed motives. We want to put God first, But what God is asking of us isn't always the first thing on our mind. We want to put God first, but we also want to have what we want to have. We want to put God first, but we also want to be accepted by the people around us. We want to be socially acceptable. And what's socially acceptable isn't necessarily what's right. We know that because of the different movements that have come and have Actually, people have had to take strong stands that are not socially acceptable and able to change the standards of the society. So it can be confusing. For instance, our society today overall places high values on wealth, and places high values on status. Think of the people that we're always paying attention to. Maybe we aren't personally, but are who out there that people want to hear about because they're so high status and worldly power 
even uh, domination, military or police power. These values undergird this culture. And I don't mean to pick on police or soldiers. I mean, there is a role for all of that. But there is... But violence and domination have become a very strong value in themselves. And these values undergird our culture and are leading to growing gaps between the rich and poor, especially that value of wealth, violence, environmental destruction. And we participate in that that harm to the degree that we internalize society's dominant values to the degree that we internalize it, them, and to the degree that we benefit from them without speaking out. We can participate in harm through our institutions and systems in which we participate, even if we follow strong moral principles in our personal lives, and even if we see ourselves as good people. That's why Father Thomas Berry said at one point, good people can be very dangerous. And ironically, it was the good people that Jesus challenged the most. It was the religious people, the ones who tried to live according to the law and follow all the rules. He didn't fit in with with them. He was not socially acceptable. He hung out not with the good people, but with the outcasts. And he healed on the Sabbath. He refused to follow the purity codes. He ate with tax collectors and sinners. He broke the law in those ways at every turn. He put God first. He put love above all. And he did what God asked of him to the best that he knew. And he knew well. Because we see in Jesus someone who truly does reflect the personality of God and projects what we understand human life can be when lived in the presence of God. And so today we read how he overturned the tables of the money changers in the temple and he drove the animals and those who were selling them out of the temple. That symbolic act was a direct challenge to the economic system of his day. And that economic system was what supported the Roman occupation of Jerusalem. Because it was through the temple tax and the other economic activity of the temple that the religious elite, those good people, enriched themselves and paid tribute to Rome at the expense of the poor and the oppressed majority of people. What Jesus did was not socially acceptable. It was against the law. It was a threat to national security. And it violated the values of a society that was based on wealth and status and worldly power. It's no wonder that those who were in charge plotted against him and finally succeeded in putting him to death. His death did not take place in in a vacuum. You shall have no other gods before me, not even the gods of your culture. Lent is a season that reminds us to put God first in our lives. How then shall we live? 
I was advised long ago that putting God first in our lives means putting God first in our day. To start each day with prayer, to set an intention, to ask God for guidance. And it's a practice that does work well for me. Prayer is one way to attune ourselves to the Spirit of God, to listen to what God is asking of us. And ultimately, that's what it's going to take to bring healing and transformation, the Spirit of God. I can't make myself into a better person. I can try. I can try to live up to standards. But it never works very well because it puts me at odds with myself. I'm trying to make myself be a better person, and if I'm fighting with myself, I always lose. Somehow it just doesn't work. I need God's help. I need the Spirit's help. And we have, through Jesus, through his life and teachings and actions, and through his death and resurrection, you will be hearing about this in coming weeks as we head towards Easter, but we have a new covenant, a covenant based on repentance and forgiveness, a covenant based on spirit, a covenant that is based on love. And so we can accept God's unconditional forgiveness and love, and that is the gospel. We can accept God's unconditional love, as Paul Tillich said, we can accept that we are acceptable, and in that process, we are changed. It's not a self-improvement project. Oh, God knows how many self-improvement books I used to read. That isn't what changes us at a deep level. It's accepting that we are acceptable just as we are, and that God loves us just as we are, and that we can trust God to carry us to where we need to go and to show us what God is asking of us. God's promise to show us what's being asked of us and to love us no matter what. God's covenants with us are irrevocable. We no longer have to live according to the law, trying to make ourselves into good people. No, we can act according to the Spirit. And I was going to leave this out, but I'm not going to after all. I'm going to say that it's going to take the Spirit to bring healing and transformation to our world. That would be a big thing to leave out. Today, the stakes are very high for humanity and for the earth itself. There are great social and environmental challenges unlike anything that humanity has ever faced before, and that is here and now in our time. And the dominant systems that we have in place today, the economic system, even the political system dominated as it is by corporations, even the global trade regime, global finance, those systems are not going to take us where we need to go. We won't be able to heal the planet and build a world of peace and justice on the values of wealth and status and worldly power. We must find a new way. And that's why I wrote my book, Shaking the Gates of Hell, Faith-Led Resistance to Corporate Globalization, which gives an overview of the global economy and also points us in the way as people of faith that we can bring change 
to the systems and the institutions of our world. And it's based on a quote by John Wesley that I think you'll like. He says, Give me a hundred preachers, and I care not a straw if they're clergy or laity. Give me a hundred preachers who fear nothing but sin and desire nothing but God, and I'll shake the gates of hell and set up the kingdom of God on this earth. We no longer have to live according to the law, trying to make ourselves into people who we think we should be. Instead, we can practice putting God first in our lives by opening ourselves up to the Holy Spirit, practicing love of God and neighbor, and following wherever Jesus might lead. We can live not according to the law, but according to the Spirit. Amen.